Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Me, I'm here, Chris Howard, back again, as I always am on this wonderful podcast. As I always say, thank you very much, listener, for joining us. We're so glad that you could join us and we are very grateful to our listeners who also contribute and give us feedback. And I'm loving some of the feedback I get from our listeners in terms of what they want to hear, some of the topics that we do. Today's topic is around employee engagement. And that's why I've brought in our lace expert, Debbie Mitchell. Debbie. You right? Hi, yeah, a bit shocked to have that label, but I'm good, thank you. Nice to see you all. Debbie and I are going to be quizzing Rob Boland from an organisation called Reward Gateway. Rob, how are you doing? You all right? Hi, Chris. Hi, Debbie. Good to meet you guys. Very well, thanks. How are you? Splendid, splendid. Now, we spoke, oh, it feels like only weeks ago, and so as we were just saying off-air, time is flying, because it was even pre-Christmas when we had the initial conversation, about a report that you guys produced at Reward Gateway. Now, the report is called the 2023 Employee Engagement Trends Report, Five Human-Centred Strategies to Build Strong, Resilient Teams. And Debbie and I have had a look at the report, some really fascinating uh, bits in there, and we want to delve in to some of the specifics around that, and you've identified those five areas, treat managers like they matter because they do focus on employee and well-being at the heart of engagement don't let employees drift into disengagement use recognition as a hidden power and stay agile to absorb change now we're going to delve into those a little bit at a time of course we want people to download the report so we won't go through all of the information but we'll pick out some of the interesting nuggets before we do that though it might be worthwhile just you giving us a bit of background on yourself and then also talk to us a little bit about who reward gateway are too brilliant thanks chris so uh, i'm rob boland i uh I'm the CEO at Reward Gateway. I've been with the business eight years now. I actually got into sort of this side of the tech world. I've always been sort of fairly involved in tech, but in the HR tech sphere, it was quite an interesting journey. I used to, um, for many years, work for Amazon. And whilst working for Amazon, I got introduced to the founder of Reward Gateway, a gentleman known as uh, Glenn Elliott. And we sort of started bonding because... He was very interested in technology and I was very interested in HR technology, but specifically employee engagement. I'm sure everyone knows Amazon is a very, very big employer across the globe. I was heavily involved in the European and UK ops and uh, I was just fascinated in this world of employee engagement because when I worked at Amazon and it was quite interesting looking at the report we've done everything was measured on productivity it was down to the most minute tiny bit of employee productivity and everything in amazon is measured it's a very data-driven business and i was just fascinated in getting and understanding more how listening and working closer with employees and really engaging them what it actually could do to business performance so i met glenn and and we just started chatting back and forth over a number of years and eventually we got to the point where I had done a good few years at Amazon and he had a role open at Reward Gateway and it just seemed like the natural perfect next step for me. So I moved across to Reward Gateway and I've been there now for eight years overseeing sort of all of our customer operations and and our product teams. Nice. So 
I want to talk, I'm going to get let Debbie have the first pass at the specific sort of interesting nuggets that we've come across for the report itself. But before we do that, is it worth just giving a little bit of an overview as to why you guys decided to create this report, you know, who it's aimed at, and then just kind of, I don't think we'll delve exactly into each of the kind of, well, we will delve into each of the bits of the report, but just as a kind of 50,000 foot perspective, why did you decide to create the report and who's it aimed at? Well, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to agree is HR is currently one of the most difficult parts of a business. I think they've got so many sort of moving moving aspects and factors across the job. And, and the HR probably don't always get the recognition that they deserve for what they have to deal with on a daily basis. So what we were trying to do, and, and we do it on an annual basis, is we try to go out and really understand what are employees saying, what's happening in the market. Because again, things change so rapidly. But we did this research towards the back of probably what's been the biggest two years change in in the workforce, which was the COVID pandemic. And we wanted to make sure, A, that we understood fundamentally internally as a business, are we doing the right things? But also, we spoke to over 3,000 employees and wanted to understand from them how are their feeling, you know, you hear all of these terms, the great resignation and this, you know, and, and a lot of them don't really have much context behind them. So what we actually wanted to go out and was actually get some context and facts and figures that we could give to HR leaders across the globe and say, this is what the employees have said. These are some facts and figures that can help you make some of the decisions that you're going to need to make in this really new world that you're facing. I think one of the first things you came across was sort of the role the line manager can play, right, in the relationship and the engagement that that employee brings to the table. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of what you uncovered? I mean, it's a massive passion of mine and a number of us at LACE that sort of that line manager role is really, really pivotal. But what kind of things did you uncover, Rob, in, in your research? Well, it's actually probably one of the loudest things we heard was the, I mean, although it's probably maybe not the right way, but the power that a real great manager can have over their employees. And I think sometimes businesses don't always really think about the real impact, or we say the shadow that managers can cast across a business, is mm. you get a, how many times will you have spoken to someone who they said those age-old words, I didn't leave my business, I left my manager. Because that is the person that you're looking up to. That's the person who you're going to be going to for support, for direction, for mentoring, for guidance, everything across the spectrum. And if that person isn't the right manager, or isn't someone who really sees you as an individual, and you know this, you know everyone knows this, but it was probably the strongest thing that came out of the research. I mean, we saw over half of employees who we interviewed said that having a manager who cares, over 50% of them said that that was absolutely critical to them. I mean, if anything, we were a bit surprised only 50%, but that still is a huge, huge part of it. And when we talk to businesses, the one real line of manager we say, are you really thinking about is your first line? Managers, so people who potentially it's the first time they're managing people, potentially it's the first time they've had a leadership role. It's a big step up and it's a tough job. And, and we speak to businesses, they really make sure you're listening to them and giving them the support they need. Yeah. And is there then a switch, do you think, in the skills that we need to give those line managers? So I think there's some traditional stuff. We pump new people managers through some training. But what, what do you think is kind of key for those for those new people managers to learn about? 
I think it's quite a shift a, in behaviour, right? It's just absolutely. You know, from, from directing control to caring is quite a shift. And I think what you've also got to do is you've got to give, you have to allow managers autonomy to make decisions. There's nothing worse. We say to them, oh, you've really got to listen and you've got to make sure you're there for your staff, but they can't do anything because there's, you know, obviously the old spider web of bureaucracy. I think what's really, really important is you've got to give your managers a level of autonomy that they can make decisions because... Mm-hmm. One, I think that increases that two-way communication because employees are more likely to go to a manager if they know. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that manager is going to say yes to everything. That's obviously the worst part. But it's a, like giving them some, you know, at least a, a good level of autonomy that they can go, you know what, that's a good idea. Or yes, this is the right thing for the business to do. Like, you know, you need to go do that. And I think also it's about timing, isn't it? Because quite often I, my experience is the the kind of people management role is the stuff you do when you finish doing your proper job. And it's shifting that kind of balance so that actually we're putting people first. And the, the thing I talk about a lot is the frustration I have when people managers cancel the one-to-one with their team members, because it's the easy thing to take out of the calendar so when you're when you're busy and you're straight you just take that out because you know they'll be fine you can reorganize that and the message that that sends to me as your team member is i'm much less important than all the other spreadsheets you've got to deal with today so i I think that shift of time i mean i still remember getting i was asked to go do a bit of work with this business and they were they'd used us for a number of years could not really get the needle to move on their the surveys that they were doing with their employees and the ceo of the specific business said you know i'm very welcoming you know always have an open door policy but what he didn't say is he actually he physically had a little flag on his desk (laughs) if you put the flag up it was, you do not speak, you do not come mm. in, you know, and he said, I always got an open door policy and he's got this little flag, he's probably lost. As soon as that people feel you need a flag, we've got quite a strict rule about how many people a line manager should have. Yes. Again, is it's very easy to have one manager, but far too many sort of people reporting into and they can never be effective. And that's just completely detrimental. So we always say one to six is kind of where we feel six direct reports. You can do six great one to ones. Plus, you've got enough time around that to follow up and give that support you need. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. And it takes quite a culturally brave organisation to recognise that people management side that you were talking about, Debbie, like you need to allocate this time. Because as you were saying, Rob, right at the top with Amazon, and they're looking at data and they're looking at productivity. It can be quite a challenge for businesses to just think, our people are here. We need to get most productivity out of them as possible. Whereas the whole line management type thing, it's almost a bit of a soft factor, really. But actually, as your report shows, it may be a, a soft factor. You know, oh, I need to dedicate time to look after my people, to have those one-to-ones, to check in with them and stuff like that. It kind of indirectly impacts and support and drives that productivity rather than a you work from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5.30, and the people management part is a side part of your job because of the rest of the time. We need to get the absolute maximum amount of yeah, it's focusing on the right data points because you're right. Unfortunately, some people will see a manager as because they might not have direct revenue associated with them or direct target associated with them. Sometimes they potentially don't always get that full value. But if you turn it around and you go, the power of a true manager impacting something like staff attrition or staff absenteeism, you drop that by or improve that rather by a percent or two. The, the actual value to the business is unbelievable. And that's just where it's about making sure that we're looking at the right data points and also really aligning the right things with what managers should be doing. 
Yeah, exactly. Right, I'm going to move us on because we've got five bits to go through and we've managed to go through the first one. So, <laughs> but it's really, really interesting chat. Let's focus on the second one then, which is focus on employee well-being as the heart of engagement, which is quite an interesting section. And you guys have a quadrant of employee engagement. Could you just explain a little bit about what that is and any tips that you've got on how businesses can move people through that quadrant? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you obviously think about a quadrant, four boxes and your X and Y axis and the two sort of data points we look at with an employee engagement is, well, what's an employee's intent to stay? So are they looking for a new job or are they intending to stay at your business for a foreseeable future? And then the other one is discretionary effort. And when we talk about discretionary effort, that's what is that employee going to do above and beyond what is expected of them? So those are the two sort of factors we take into account within the quadrant and then we've got four types of employees within the quadrant. In your bottom left, you've got your detractors. So your detractors look at their job description, look at what's required of them, and they do not do anything beyond that. But they also have no intent to stay. So they job hop quite a lot, go do a job very, very short period of time because they never really show up to do anything more. So you don't want a lot of detractors in your business and, you know, you really want to try identify them. And then on the other side that you get what we call our stayers. These are people who, again, do very little additional work. So they do their job and they do their job as exactly what's required of them, but nothing more. But they are very comfortable. They have absolutely no intent to go and they will stay as long as possible, quite happy in their job, but probably not adding that much more to the business because, again, you know, the value of discretionary effort is so high. And then if you go to sort of the other end of the spectrum, you get your go-getters. These are people who you'll absolutely know them, you'll see them. They go above and beyond all day, every single day, but they also jump they jump jobs a lot. So a lot of the reason they're actually going above and beyond is to find the next job, is to put their hand up, get as much done as they can, build up their CV because they're going to go on to the next job and the next job. So short term, but not really a great long term asset for the business. And then you get what we call our ambassadors. And these are really where I, you know, you really want to try have as many employees as you can in this top right quadrant. These are the people who love what they do, they intend to stick around with the business, but at the same time also always going above and beyond. So, you know, those are the four kind of quadrants that we have and that we define employee engagement again. And in terms of the sort of the practical advice around that, Rob, I've seen something similar. The thing I always talk about is it can be really transient, right? The way that people move around. And that might be led by things that are going on in the workplace, how my manager is treating me, what the organisation is doing, or things at home, like currently cost of living, right? That's going to affect some of my decisions on those two axes. What do you think are some of the practical things that as a people manager I could do to really keep people, I always talk about it as sort of just moving towards a more positive place on those axes. I think sort of getting everyone an ambassador would be an amazing achievement, right? But if we can just keep people in a more positive place, what do I need to do for that? I think the number one thing that actually came out of this research, you've got to remind remind people why they took the job with you in the first place. Mm-hmm. The answer is simple, but it's so powerful. Is moving jobs is a big step for any employee. You know, a lot it, it absolutely people are you know things like money and so forth, but it is still a fundamentally very very big decision for an employee. And a lot of the time, the employee is going to pick the job that they want to go for. They, you know, you get things like Glassdoor, you get Google. People know more about your mm. business than you probably know before they've even looked at your jobs page. So there's a conscious decision that they have made to join your business. And it's about reminding them about that. It's what made you decide to join this business? What was special about what we did? And I think 
as a manager, if you can identify that and you can really, A, notice it in people, you're going to help move them across through that quadrant. But also you might notice that people who may, maybe they don't share that vision with you anymore. And that's actually okay too. Because then, you know, you're making sure that you're keeping the right people in business who do fundamentally believe what you do. But for us, I think it comes down to remind them why they started working for you. Yeah. I think the other thing for me is I use this term a lot too. It's really kind of curious. So being curious about what is it that keeps your colleagues engaged, committed? What is it that they were interested in? What is it that would keep them inspired? How do they connect to the book? So asking them those questions. And again, I often say this, that managers don't have to have all the answers. They just have to have some really great questions to find out those things about where does somebody sit on those different axes and what would help them to move somewhere more positively. Yeah. I think it's also important and what we as businesses you have to accept that these exist these types of employees exist yeah i think sometimes businesses they don't want to accept that they are going to have employees in different parts of this quadrant and different parts of the life cycle it's having that real acceptance and realism that you know what this is happening in our business something we need to be honest about but something we also can address yeah exactly your last point they've got a role to play in doing something about that It's not just because the employee is that kind of employee, right? They can do lots to influence how they feel. Yeah. I'm going to move us on just to the the third section um, because I'm obviously conscious of time. But before we do that, what really interesting stat, actually. This is from the Focus Employee Wellbeing as a heart of the engagement. 39% of employees rate their employer's mental wellbeing support as good or excellent, which I thought seemed quite low. So just wanted to get you to just maybe for a minute or two touch on that before we then move into what I think is a fascinating point, which is don't let employees drift into disengagement. So this is probably the number one thing in this research, but all research, all conversations we find there is a very big disconnect when you ask an employer about an initiative and well-being is something that we notice it massively versus what the employee thinks. There is a huge disconnect. And this research showed that where employees were generally going, you know what, we've got this fantastic support network available, these great tools available, whether it's mental well-being or financial or physical. You ask the employees and they they were saying, you know, almost the complete opposite. And I think that comes down to two things. One, clear communication is sometimes employees just don't know what is available to them. And businesses, they go, well, we've got these great tools. They don't actually realize that's only half of sort of the challenge. The real challenge is actually making sure employees know what's available to them, but also know at the right time through their life cycle. Because you know, as, as, as we all know, life goes in ups and downs. So you might not always need those benefits available to you when you start at a business and you get told about them. So it's continually keeping in front. And the other one is making sure you're actually listening to an employer about the benefits around well-being or whatever it is, is actually what they want. Because again, what, you know, as an HR leader, what you feel your employees might want, might it just might have no resonance with the employees themselves. So you know, cost of living crisis at the moment, what we're seeing is a lot of people are going, maybe it's financial well-being we need to go into. Actually, mental well-being is what it's really impacting. And so that's a real, real thing is that although, you know, cost of living crisis is a financial crisis, the impact is mental. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, quite interesting I, I was on a podcast or i recorded a podcast which i think will come out a few weeks after this podcast with professor 
Deirdre O'Shea, who's a psychology top professor. And she was talking about how organisations, there are a lot of organisations, not loads, well, there are some organisations that almost use it as a bit of a box ticking exercise. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. Like, look at us. We've got all of these options to support you with your well-being. So if you just want to go onto our internet and you can sort yourself out and that's not that's not the right way to go but let's move on so don't let employees drift into disengagement 24% of employees saying they're no longer going above and beyond specific responsibilities i guess that kind of touches on what we were talking about with those you've got the detractors and you've got like the stayers really that we were talking about earlier so just want to get your thoughts on that and particularly within this section you talk about antidotes to that so can you just explain to our listeners about those antidotes to avoiding that. We've seen a bit of a disconnect between workforces and employees driven by, not necessarily by working from home, because that's actually not the disconnect. It's the disconnect, is the struggle to connect effectively with, with people who aren't in an office all the time. It's a new way of working for a lot of businesses and, and they, they've struggled. And what that's meant is you've had a lot of employees almost quite silently and slowly drift into this world where they're not fundamentally engaged with their business anymore. And that's where we've seen, you know, there's an opportunity to almost put the brakes on it and sort of reverse it back. And again, we've spoken to a number of employees and we said to them, what are the sort of four or five things that that are really driving your, your disengagement? The first one always comes is I just don't feel appreciated. And, you know, as I whether you... Every day I get up and I, I put the best side of myself on and, you know, and I do the best job I can and I never hear anything about it. I never hear from my manager. I never get anything positive said about it. And again, I don't think we quite understand the true value that, that, that we're losing there for something that costs next, it costs nothing, but mm-hmm. has such an immense sort of value to it. So underappreciated. And that actually boils into the next one, which is they feel undervalued. And again, when you say undervalued, a lot of people will go, is it to do with compensation? Yeah, absolutely. Compensation is part of it. But it's more than that. Uh, We talk about job design. And we say is, you know, are you really, am I I doing something that's, that's helping me grow, that's teaching me something new? Are you giving me new skills? There's so much more that businesses can, can do around this. Am I interested? Am I challenged? So that was the second one. The third one was sort of what I was speaking about at the at the, at the start of this was there's a, there's a disconnection. Is you know what is my what is my business actually doing now? What are the senior leaders doing? What is the rest of the business doing? And because lots more people aren't in the office anymore, you don't have that social cohesion between people. You can't walk into an office and see someone who you haven't seen for a while at you know a different department and have that five minute conversation over a a tea or a coffee with them. So you actually have to work a lot harder at connecting workforces and connecting them together. This isn't just managers and employees. This is employees from different departments understanding and connecting them too. The fourth and fifth one are fairly similar. Again, employees are feeling ignored and they're feeling isolated. And if you look, what's the real common thread between those five things? It's the power that we have to fix there. It's not about spending lots of money. It's about connection and it's about managers. This is the thing I drew out from the report was exactly that, that this isn't a set of solutions that require significant investment, just a switch of behavior, right? So managers just, again, becoming more curious, listening better, paying more attention and prioritizing that sort of people first approach to how they deal with their teams and their work. And, and I, you know, when I looked at that kind of list of five things that you described, 
that's exactly what came to mind is there's a significant role for the manager here it is and this is the this is what we you know we we the research really came out strongly was there are simple solutions here that have immense value that doesn't attach a monetary sort of requirement to it and it is it's you know like just it's that connection and appreciation and if you think about it as an employee yourself when you get that thank you from your direct line manager the value it actually has and sometimes we forget it ourselves because unfortunately as you go a bit further up the ladder it's even harder to get but when you do you truly recognize the value and then you say to yourself you know what i need to be doing more of that with my own stuff and it's just so easy to do and then the other one really comes down is, is is that connection, but I think that also boils back to what we were talking about earlier. It's it's giving managers the time to do this. And if you've got endless employees reporting into you, never mind, you're not going to be able to you know appreciate and recognize them. You're never going to get a chance to listen to them and, and connect with them. So it's also a business's you know real responsibility to make sure are they giving their their managers the time. And, and energy that they need to be great managers to perform these really basic tasks, mm-hmm. but really, really immensely powerful things. And, and equally then, are they recognized, valued, and rewarded for doing yeah. that kind of work rather than stuff on paper or, well, like, you know. As I always say, as a leader's behavior determines, you know, your followers' behavior. If a leader is mm-hmm. consistently practicing the right things, it's natural. Yes. And more and more people around the staff, uh, around the business are going to be doing it. Yeah. And and we've sort of touched into that fourth section, which is using recognition. We were just talking about there, really, um, using recognition as a hidden power. I think that's really interesting. Like at LACE, we have something that we call kudos, and it's basically just an opportunity to give people a shout out. And when we were first talking about delivering this approach, just every month, you know, people just take time to recognize this isn't specifically line managers to employees. This is across the whole business. Like people can just call out another colleague. We had an initial conversation about do we like recognize this by putting a monetary value like i don't know get an amazon voucher or something like that and actually what we realized is that and this is what your report obviously clearly shows you know 72 percent of employees agree well-being improves if they're thanked for their work it actually showed that people by being recognized publicly amongst their peers we realized actually it's not about the monetary value it's not about saying oh look at me i got a bottle of wine or an amazon voucher or whatever it is it was actually just about being told You've done a really great job and we appreciate you. And it had a it's had a really, really positive effect for us. I'm going to move us on just to the fifth and final point, which is stay agile to absorb change. So one in five HR leaders saying that their employee engagement strategy allows them to adapt. Just want to get some thoughts from your perspective from that, Rob. Well, I mean, you know, I think if anything, what we've realized over the past few years is Things are changing and things are going to continue to change. I think the period that we're, we've gone through fundamentally means is that the world of work is, is different. It's, it's not going to go back to how it was. And I think that's actually a fantastic thing. But what it actually means is employees are expecting more of us as businesses. And what an employee is expecting today isn't going to be what an employee is looking for in six months or 12 months time. It makes, you know, I'm not trying to... HR's job is even harder now because things are going to continue to move. I think HR's a sort of seat at the table is going to get so much more important now because 
employees entering this workforce, you you know, like I know we, we said like wall for talent and that it is absolutely. And we've got a great new CEO who's just joined and the thing he's so passionate about. And the first thing he actually, when he came into the business, what he wanted to understand what our voluntary turnover figure was, because he was like that tells me the true health of this business. Because if I can truly understand why people are leaving, then we know if we're getting it right or wrong. And then I can look at everything else. And it was really great to see a CEO come in and, and, and do that. And through that conversation, then you start realizing, you know what, actually we've got different people in the workforce having different things, but also the cost of living crisis is what's impacting us today. That will have an end. But just as that ends, something else is going to start. And that yeah. means that as HR, you know, we need to be able to sort of have a an HR process in place that can be agile, that can be turned, that can be flexed to, to the, the, the changing environment with. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me, again, is that that kind of split between typically we used to sort of run the annual engagement survey every two years and do lots of comparison to other brilliant companies and, you know, see how that all mapped out. And I think that's what's changed, right, is we're we're much more interested now in just listening. I call, I call it sort of listening versus comparing and that we need to do that on a much more ongoing basis because two years ago we might have listened and heard something very different to, to what would have happened 18 months ago right so that you know because the world suddenly changed so so i think we need to be much more reactive and responsive to what we're hearing and what people want and also because we know in a different in uh, economic environment particularly people will up and leave if they don't like what they hear so you know we need to be responsive to what they are telling us and try to make change right and and to do that quickly not to do that over a two year three year four year window yeah, absolutely. People will have, they'll vote with their feet. You know, yeah. that's 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 a very, very true so. Yep, certainly. So we are just out of time on today's pod, but what I wanted to do, just because it's a really, really fascinating detailed report, definitely worth a listen. We'll put a link to the report itself in the show notes when we release the pod. But is there any other just final nuggets or anything that may perhaps we haven't covered that just from your perspective you thought was really interesting from the report, Rob? <sighs> I think the most important thing for me, and the, it's, it's my, I don't know if it's necessarily the most important thing or interesting thing is something has in every report we've done, and we've done these annually for years and years, the forefront of every business is about connection with your employees. Your employees absolutely need to know what it is that you do as a business and why you're doing it. That's it comes through so, so strongly. And that's the interesting thing is every year, some some new nuggets do come out of the report, but the one that has been consistent every single year is employees want that connection with their business. They want to know why we're doing what we're doing. And I think now with more remote workforces and people working from home, it's a bigger challenge than we've had before, but it's more important than it has because it, it still sits at the top of an employee's agenda is why we're doing what we're doing. No, really, really good end point there. So thank you very much for coming on and joining us today, Rob. No, thank you for having me. Thanks, uh, it's been lovely to have you on. We certainly shall have you on again. A re- like I said, a really fascinating report, which you'll be able to get access to once you listen to this and then hopefully download from the show notes as well. Debbie, thank you very much for joining me once again. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you both on. You could, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I won't bore you to death with the details from that by now, but hopefully you've enjoyed this particular show. Rob, do you want to just give people a shout out for where they can find you on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook? or anything Yes, else? it's Rob Boland. So B-I-L. 
Bell and I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Twitter's Rob Boland 29. Really top stuff. Thank you much to Rob. Thank you much to Debbie. We hope you've enjoyed the show and we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.